Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's Mrs. Byrne. She just got her entire M&S shop for free. She's this week's randomly selected Sparks customer who doesn't need to pay for a thing. Not only that, every time she shops at M&S and scans her digital Sparks card, M&S donates to her chosen Sparks charity. Plus, she gets personalised offers and treats. Sparks, the new reward scheme from M&S. Good things happen every time you shop. Join today in the M&S app. Terms, conditions and exclusions apply. For details, see marksandspencer.ie. Welcome to the Dope Black Dads podcast, a place where we are changing the narrative and having progressive conversations about black fathers, as well as creating a safe digital space for the community. This is the Dope Black Dad podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. I'm here today and I'm joined by my wonderful name twin, Marvin Critchlow. How are you? I'm not too bad, brother. Glad to be here. Do you think you ever will get your own branding that's not connected to us having the no, same name or you having a sexiest voice in, on, on podcasting? <laughs> Unless I unless I change my name, I think you founded Dope Black Dad, so I'm always going to be like the other Marvin, I guess. So yeah. you know what? I'll tell you what. Name. Right now, I'm being given a name from South Africa, so when that name comes through, <laughs> we'll let you we'll let you hold your space, yeah. bro, because you deserve okay. it. Okay, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and today, I'm delighted to be joined by Mickey Fax. Mickey, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good, man. Cheerio. Cheerio, bros. I feel like there's this whole London thing that's going on that's like, I think it's going to take a minute to come out of your system, but it's cool. Uh, the thing is, yeah, it's not the same when we do it back to you, like when we start going like yo and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't land the same way. So unfortunately, there's an imbalance. Yeah, I mean, I love, I, if you guys say yo, it'll be fire. I just think Cheerio is the best shit ever. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever said Cheerio in my life. Really? Why not? Yeah, I'll be. It means, Just, I don't know, what does it actually mean? How would we contextualize Cheerio? Pip, Pip, happy to be here. <laughs> pip, yeah, pip. happy to be here, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying Pip, Pip from yeah, now exactly. on. Pip, Pip, oh shit. <laughs> pip, Pip is fire. <laughs> Do y'all say Pip, Pip? No. <laughs> oh. This is what they do to us, man. They, 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 Americans love to make British, especially black British people, into this sort of like soulless, sort of super angelic. I think it was soulless. So, someone like, I think it might be Young Fug, which was like on a radio show. And he was just like, no, nah, it's not like those American, those UK gangsters who were like raised in Mayfair in a penthouse. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. What? 
Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Uh, anyway, nah. so today what I wanted to talk to you about is just um, we've seen the passing of DMX, we've seen the passing of Black Rob, and we've seen the passing of Shock G in a very short space of time. And I'm pretty sure there's others that have we've lost in terms of of music. And uh, in many ways, hip hop is black music, and it is the most probably authentic and closest proximity to black culture in many ways. But it's just so sad that so many men are dying at the 50 to 52 to 57 mark. And I just wanted to ask you guys in terms of just like. First and foremost, how did you receive those passings? I think it's really important to acknowledge. But just like in, in terms of losing so many men in their 50, does it make you think about your mortality in any way, shape or form? Um, for me, uh, it was uh, it was definitely um, heartbreaking to see the DMX passing. I wasn't too connected to these three artists like I was to Biggie Smalls. But, you know, a lot of a lot of my childhood was raised on... DMX, I would say that. I feel like those 90s artists, it's, you know, their deaths sadly reflect the times, right? There wasn't any financial literacy being spoken about to those artists in the 90s. It was a lot of money coming in because hip hop was finally getting their footing. So a lot of money was coming in and a lot of vices were being given to, you know, artists. Without any, uh, without any, I don't want to say consequences, but without any kind of knowledge behind what it is that they were involving themselves in. So we see the result of that with uh, DMX, who, you know, sadly was, you know, involved in drugs. We see that with, I don't, we still don't know what what Shock G died from, um, but obviously Black Rob has had, you know, medical conditions since 1998. So these things, along with healthcare and, and just having the knowledge to know what to do, is is a necessity for me. I think about my mortality at least twice a week, and I try to be positive in terms of what I'm leaving behind as far as a legacy and as far as for my family. I want to make sure that they're straight and okay. So even when I'm gone, they'll be they'll be fine. Just very quickly on that, you 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 speak to think about your mortality twice a week. Think about music, and this is something that I always found challenging. I did some music marketing in like 2010, um, and I loved it from a passion point of view. But one thing I really quickly realized in music is that it's not actually about being the best. Being the best isn't the actual formula to success. So I found that really difficult to measure because I was like, you know, there'll be people who are incredible artists or musicians, but there's so much more that goes into it in terms of presentation, in terms of marketing, in terms of timing, in terms of just like curation that it can impact. How, how does that live with you? Because that must be very difficult because obviously clearly talented, but then in terms of like owning your destiny, do you, do you feel like you're in control of it or is it a little bit of the whim of the world? And what does that do in terms of stress for you just to like be a man and to provide for your family? I mean, I think that's a great question. For me, I, I'm in a place in a position in my life where I've accepted where I am musically in 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 the pantheon of, you know, people who do this on a consistent basis and who are uh, living off of this. Everybody can't be Kendrick. Everybody can't be J. Cole or Big Sean. Um, we need people that are on the ground. It, it's the same thing as like, you know, I'm a very big comic head, right? Like the strongest characters, you know, you look, you think about somebody like Captain Marvel or somebody like Thor, like you would liken those guys as, you know, from a power-based standpoint as the Kendricks. And the um, and the Coles and the Drakes, but then you have guys who, you know, have to stay on the streets and fight 
what's going on in the city of New York because the bigger guys can't, uh, you know, get to them. So I, I liken myself to the street-based, you know, characters in Marvel and things like that. And I do my best to give my fan base the the most that I can give them in terms of quality content, you know, and I, that they're all I'm worried about when it comes to this as well. And, and does that impact how you feel about the music you make or music industry? Because obviously you, you, you've been around for, for a minute, you, you know, you're not, you didn't arrive last week. So you have experience in terms of navigating the industry. Does it put you off the art? Has it disconnected you from you know, the mission that you have, may have for your family or yourself. Because I, I just, I just, I always admire music artists because the, the the art part and the commerce part are miles apart. And 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 the commerce part, technically, it shouldn't be much of your business because, you, you know, in the ideal world, you have your team, but you have to be aware when you're like, you know, you know you're trying to build an actually sustainable business. It just feels stressful to me. Maybe because I'm a control freak, but I don't, I don't know. How, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the impact of like being in an industry where you don't literally control it in terms of you and your vision and your family? I mean, you know, it's, well, now I control it, you know, because I have a manager, but he works with me in terms of the big, big stuff. So when I was in uh, the 40 year old version, the movie that came out on Netflix, he facilitated something like that. Or, you know, this project that I have coming out with Blue from the West Coast, who's on a double XL freshman cover with me. He's handling the bigger stuff, but the minor stuff is stuff that I take care of. You know, the last two projects that I put out was just all me, you know, and I, I kind of have to move in that capacity in order to take care of my family. If I wait on him, if I wait on him, I probably wouldn't make any, you know, revenue. Um, and I feel like for, for me personally, this is just a personal thing. I feel like I am successful because I haven't had a job in 14 years and I've, uh, I, I make well over six figures a year and I I do my best and I do what I want. You know, I feel like that is really, you know, what matters, you know, just being able to provide people with quality content that uplifts their spirits and their souls. man. That, that's what I'm here for. That's know? really powerful. Uh, Marvin, how did, you know, the news of DMX, Black Rob and, and Shop GM, if at all, did it, did it move you? Did it, how did it land in, in your lap and what did it make you think and feel? I think for me, it was just, it was it was like a nightmare. Like when you heard of DMX, especially mm. because he was on life support um, for so long, you kind of, you're just hoping for the best. I think you're just hoping that, nah, this is this is fake news or, you know, it's going to mm -hmm. come around and he's going to survive. But if, if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen this time and time again, there was Michael Jackson, there's Prince, you know, there's so many other examples of, of, of black men dying prematurely that, you know, that we, we unfortunately knew what their inevitable, inevitable outcome was going to be. And yeah, it is, it's soul destroying. And um, I think mm -hmm. I made a comment on the last podcast <clears throat> that, you know, over here, and um, we had Prince Philip living until he was 99. Crazy. But yet, black men are, are dying in their 50s. And you just think it's, yeah, it it does make you think of your mortality. And I think with what Mickey was saying as well, I think what's important is that decisions you make earlier in your life, even when you wake up later in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, you're still going to suffer the consequences of things that you did earlier on. And I think that's something we probably don't give enough thought to that, you know, our, our bodies aren't machines that can just run forever. What you put into it, um, you know, how you treat it is going to affect you in the long run. And I think that's what these deaths kind of remind me of, that, you know, with all the money, with all the fame, with all the accolades, when a body gives up, when it taps out, you know, you're you're going to fall victim to that. And it, you know, it, it is hard, especially with someone like DMX. I'm, and growing up, when Biggie died, when Tupac died, 
you know, I, I heard about it, but I didn't grow with them in the same type of way where DMX was like everyone's uncle. Like it was, that was music <laughs> you listen to all the time in the gym. You want to get, get that PB, you're going to put on DMX, you know, Black grew up when like Woe came out. That was, that was mm, like revolutionary. I raised so, to that so hard. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, these are people who I had that connection with. I feel like for the older generation or people older than me, the connection they had with like the two packs and the biggies, that was a connection I had with DMX and it, and it did hit me. It felt like I'd lost a family member. Um, and yeah, it does make you think of your mortality and every day you just think, you know, how can I be the best version of myself? I think what was great with DMX is he was striving to be the best version of himself every day. He, he showed that it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to make mistakes and all those types of lessons. And yeah, the best we can do is try to emulate that and be, you know, be a fraction of what he he became. You know what's really, really interesting for me here is that I'm just like... So I, I I came into hip hop late. I didn't discover hip hop until 2000. I listened to pop music up until then point that point. And then my my best friend at the time put Westwood on. And and this is embarrassing, but I I can only be authentic. Like he put he put Westwood on. He was the barometer of hip hop in the UK. And on there was uh, Eminem, and he was playing Stan. So this must be 2000 2001. I, I listened to music, but I, didn't, I wasn't into it like that. Like I remember Dre Day and Easy E and Dre beefing and the co- the com- the comedic videos. I used to love them. I didn't understand any of the context. I didn't know who Dre was, Easy E was, West Coast. I didn't get any of it. But I remember right. being like, Doctor G, was it Doctor Dre is a buster? And he had like a sign, and he was like, "I'll rap for food." And like all these, and I just thought that was hilarious. But I didn't contextualize it in hip hop or anything. And so the first time I, I heard something that made me be like, "Whoa," was Stan, and it was so vivid to me. So. Then wow. that's 2000, 2001. I then went back and started to discover artists, but I went back to like 94. So it was like Nas, uh, Biggie, and then Tupac. And then I learned about people in the present time. So I know obviously uh, DMX was 98, but I didn't get to him until like 2001. And so my friend was like, you don't know about this. I was like, no. And then, so he gave me the, he gave me the second one with the, was the one with the blood on it? Is that the second one? Flesh of my flesh, blood of my yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah. So he gave me that. And I was just like, what the, I only liked about three songs, but I was like, that's the next thing. Like that, I'm, I'm like easing myself in with like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> with Eminem wow. and Stan and a very, you know, biopic song about, you know, that. And then he came in with that and it blew my mind. But I then learned to really, really grow with him with the third album. Uh, and then there was X. I like, I like had that album. Like that was like, you know, teenage angst album. That was me like rebelling my family and like, I'm grounded, but I'm going to listen to this because I'm free. (laughs) So, you know, and I I just remember how powerful his tone was and his like delivery and his energy. And I always knew he was troubled, but I almost didn't care or think about it. I never thought about it as a negative. I thought it as an and to who he was because like for me the the prayers the like the power in his music the like the dogs the the motorbikes the, the rough riders oh, i love rough riders like all of that for me was just louder than the challenges that he had and he felt mm. so big to me so you know from that point of view and obviously like like um well obviously black rob that song was like seven summers was being played like you could play yeah. it for seven summers and nobody questioned it when it came nobody on. And I think, you know, it's really hard to have an iconic song and be so big. And I remember the album, uh, I think it's called Life Story, I want to say actually. It's coming yeah, to Life me. Story. Yeah. Great album. Great album. Like it's not, it's not one of those ones where there's a hit and he's got nothing else. It was a great album. But again, like these challenged men, it was only a ticking time bomb. And, and the only reason why it moves me so much, because I contextualize DMX with Jay-Z all the time. 
because I know they came out slightly maybe two two years apart, but mm. obviously Hard Not Life tour and like being on Def Jam and being hot at the same time. And Dex, it's funny because Jay-Z's never been the number one artist in the world. I think maybe at Blueprint time, potentially, but he's never been the number one rapper. And But he's managed to sustain this incredible career to the point he holds a space. And a lot of these amazing other people haven't. It makes me just think about life strategy. I don't know what, if it moves you in a similar way. Life strategy. That's, mm. a good, that's, a good, uh, that's a good bunch of words. Life strategy. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> pip, pip. <laughs> <laughs> does, does it resonate with you in the same way, Marvin? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I liked what um, the, what Mickey was saying, just in terms of, you know, you, you're successful, and that's all that matters. Like, you know, how you've defined your success, and I think sometimes people go hard, but then they they suffer as a result of it. Whatever that is, whatever, however that looks, they they suffer as a result. Where sometimes, you know, being moderate and staying in your own lane, doing what works for you and your family, ends up being much more successful, much more fruitful. We see it over here, for example, with football players. You know, many football players do well. Then they get to their thirties when they when they have to retire, and many football players end up getting divorced, and then they end up struggling, and they don't get into commentary or anything like that. They just become, you know, just someone that's just out there in the ether, and they haven't got that kind of same level of success that they had growing up. And we've seen other people kind of navigate that space and become successful on the other side of their career, whether it was football or music or, or things like that. So I think, yeah, life strategy is important. You've got to kind of go into it knowing that it's not going to last forever, that you're not always going to be on the top, that you're not always going to be making that type of money. But, right. but how can you make it work for you? Mm. How would you talk about your life strategy, Mickey? I know it's a new concept we just threw at you and made up basically on the spot. But in reflection, how would you say what your strategy is in terms of, do you have one? And it's also fine if you don't. I, I don't think I have one right now either, to be honest. My life strategy was to get a record deal. Mm. That was it. And to not and to not be homeless, like that was that was my that was my life strategy. Mm. And when it came down to it, I succeeded at that, you know. And then it was like, okay, now I'm just living, right? I'm just enjoying life. Um, now, as a married man, my life strategy currently is right here. Oh wow, <laughs> that is so dope. Um, and, the, and this is just for 2021. I'll just read it out to you. Um, mostly, you know, put on, putting out five projects this year. So far, one of them has come out. And then the next one comes out in June with Blue. Financial goals. I was supposed to buy a truck this, this month with my uh, two business partners. That did not happen because I caught COVID in early April. Fix up my credit by May. That didn't happen because I caught COVID. <laughs> uh, open an E-Trade account, which I did. Open a Coinbase account, which I did. Get uh, HSA, which is, you know, health insurance stuff in, in, in America. Get a real estate purchase in November, which I'm still on track to do. Invest in index mutual funds in November. Open a retirement account in December and save $10,000 by December. So all of these things is what, and this is just, this is just my life plan for this year. But a lot of it is long-term stuff for my family. I want to make sure that they're secure. So trying to, you know, as heartbreaking as the three men that passed away was, I can't help but think that potentially maybe, you know, if there were some things put in place, things would have been a little bit easier for them in terms of life. And I, and I can't blame them or their ignorance. It's just, you know, if you don't know and you're, you're raised a certain way, you're going to 
live that out in that way. And I want to be able to change that mindset, not only for myself and my family, but for all of hip hop. You know, I, there's a project that I'm putting together called The Dinner Table, which breaks down financial literacy for artists and people in general, because there are just things as Black people, we just do, we just don't know. We don't have the, the, the basic concept of certain things because it wasn't taught to us. We were taught to survive, not to live longer. So, you know, I want to be able to give back from that standpoint, financially, you know? That's really powerful. Marvin, how would you characterize your life plan at all? And by the way, just, just to be very clear, Mickey, that, that it was exceptional. I don't know, I don't know if it, yeah. it felt like we set that up intentional, we didn't. Yeah, exactly. You had it right, right next to you. Two, you had yeah. it like really, really mapped out. And I think yes. that's really beautiful. And I think it's kind of missing from, I think men, like I, I don't want to characterize because I don't personally know, but I feel like men from a particular upbringing just find themselves disconnected from financial literacy or goals that are really like microscopically designed um, and intentional and we kind of why do, do, just why do you think that is and, and this is this is tough to even say being being a hip-hop artist but do we blame hip-hop hip-hop for this i i don't i don't blame it for it broadly i blame for it in terms of like the, so if you think about a pie where black people go and feel safe to get information from hip-hop is a touch touch point for that and yes. I feel like hip hop doesn't honor black people enough in terms of representing more positive things and more balanced things. And again, I'm not saying everyone must save is the hit new hit record that you must try and sell. You know, right. Nas can do what I can, but that's not for everybody. But I Correct. think Jay Z 444 is the apt approach to informing, entertaining, and then also generally just how he moves as a way of like educating people on how to strategically move in really big situations. But I think there's more that could be done. I think too many people operate in the, the shallow end of music with a goal of like, you know, showing us that we think we can be distracted. But I'm 37 years old. If you tell me about women and you call them the B word, I, I'm more offended than I am impressed, to be completely mm. honest, at this point in my life. Mm. So I don't, I don't want you to preach to me, but I think that the language that we use at some point has to evolve out. You know, some yes. of the rappers like, you know, I don't want to disrespect Cameron and the, some of the things that they say and just like, just like she swallows and it's just like, bro, you're like 40, bro. What, like, I, I don't, <laughs> where's the evolution? And I, and I feel like this is where, and I don't want to keep laboring Jay-Z, but I felt like he's, he's maturation. I know he's 50 now, but his maturation seemed to have happened timely and progressively. And I felt like even with the errors, he, he, he communicated them. So it becomes a Bible to masculinity up to 50 at this point, whereas I don't think it's common. That's that's powerful, man. That's powerful. It's on you, Marvin. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, it's it's hard to follow, hard act to follow. But I'm no, Mickey. I love that, um, like your vision board that you brought out, and I think that's exactly how I try to do it. Like break it down year by year. Because if someone said, "What well, I want to achieve in the next fifty years," like fuck knows. Like I've got no idea. <laughs> but if you ask me year on year, then yeah, I'll I'll have a bit of a plan, and and it's not always going to work. But I'll have a strategy of where I'm trying to get to. Right. And I think what what resonated with me a few years ago is I thought if I didn't have a plan, it's almost like I'm planning not to be around. Like if, I'm, if, I, if I'm saying that I'm going to be here for another, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, I should be planning for it. But if I don't, what am I expecting that I'm going to kind of keel over and die or something like that? So, mm. you know, it kind of it kind of brought it home. And I thought, actually, if I'm not planning, if I'm not planning, it's as though I'm not planning to be here. And I think what many people do is they hope for like a windfall. You know, we play the lottery, you know, we, yeah. we gamble. We hope that the money is just going to come in, that we're going to invest in something and it's just going to blow up and we're going to be successful. But we don't have those kind of mature steps of, you know, day-by-day -day strategies on how we can get better every day. And that's, that's what I'm trying to strive for at the moment, to be honest, looking into things like cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. And just thinking, okay, how can I be, even if I'm not ahead of the curve, how can I be part of the curve 
to make sure I set my family up so I'm in a good position in five, ten years from now. Right, 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 right. But um, right. I'm inspired by Mickey. I'm going to be creating my vision board this weekend, man. I need, I need to get on that. <laughs> Honestly, like we, we're we're actually doing a book at the moment, and there's a chapter on 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 just like financial literacy. I, I want to put what you just did in there because I I feel like when we talk about it, sometimes it's so conceptual. When we talk about financial literacy. We expect everyone to be amazing investors and be like, oh, yeah, I invested in Bitcoin in 2016. And actually, <laughs> and like, you know, some people missed that way, weren't paying attention, whatever, and they missed that yeah. boat. Let's not make them all idiots and let's not make them all negative. And let's say, actually, my, the practical steps of what I have right now is the thing that you just did. But what's really beautiful about that, in the pursuit of your list now, you're on the court to discover something else. Because right. the next form of Bitcoin will come to you. You'll be like, oh, NFTs. And you'll be like, oh, what's NFTs? Because I was just looking at this thing over here. And then you're on the court to discover. And that's all we're asking people to be. Like, right. it's not to be on every single wave. Someone invested in Amazon in 98. Someone didn't. Someone invested in Bitcoin in 2016. Someone didn't. Well, we just right. want to make everyone on the court. And then you can, you know, do the things that you feel comfortable doing. I think it's really right. important. Very important. Very important. I'm, I'm very impressed. I didn't know what to expect in this interview, but you guys are you guys are very, very geniuses to me, man. You guys keep up the good work, man. It's lovely to see. Thank you, King. You are us, by the way. Just so you know, you, you literally you. just proved the point just literally two minutes ago. So know that for sure. Um, the, the other thing I was um, really thinking about is just in terms of like legacy, because I think that's also an important thing. We all have that. In us historically, I've never really connected to the idea of legacy because it's quite egoic. You start saying, "I must represent this when I'm gone," and I think actually, if you focus on that, you probably won't end up making it in the same way as if you're just doing the thing and being the thing that you say you're going to be. Um, right. And I, I do have a slightly daunting and weird fetish to understand what people will say at my funeral. I, I'm probably mm. not alone, but I would love to see who turns up and who who tries to mourn over my coffin when they didn't mourn me two weeks ago. And I think actually Swiss Beats did say this at DMX's memorial. It was really, Mm. really powerful. And he was just like, you know, we got to show up for each other when we're here and not when I'm gone. Don't show up for me when I'm gone. Show up for me while I'm here. And then if you're here for me then, then then come and see me when I'm gone. And I think it was such a beautiful sentiment because I suppose there's a lot of short-termism in a lot of the things that we're doing. And do you ever think about your, your legacy, Mickey? I think about my legacy all the time and I and I'm 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 sad because I feel like people are going to go back and look at everything that I've done and and listen to everything I've done and realize my impact on music. You know, people that I haven't spoken to like I think about I really do think about this all the time. Like now, you know, and I should be thinking about, you know, just where my soul is going, but I'll be thinking about like I really say to myself People that I don't speak to are literally gonna come out the woodwork and say that I inspired them, and it's gonna it's gonna just it's gonna be weird. It's gonna it's just gonna be weird, man. Like, and Shock G, right? So, like, I, I I'm gonna be honest. I haven't thought about Shock G in years, right? Like, I, I just haven't. Like, it's, it's it's and it's not it's not purposeful. Right. It's not something that I purposefully done. Like I loved his verse on uh, I get around and I loved him as, you know, as Humpty. Right. And that was when I was a kid. After that, I couldn't tell you anything else. And is that a fault of mine? Um, I wouldn't say so, but it's more so like his core fans show him love and and he did inspire me to be silly. Right. Like so I, I do give him those flowers. 
But it goes back to what Swiss said. Give artists, I try my best to acknowledge different artists every day because I don't want them to, I don't want to do it when they pass. And I feel like that's what's going to happen to me. Like everything that I've, everybody I've inspired from the way we dress to just. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Molding and marketing music to all the projects I've put out, the content in terms of creativity, trying to think outside of the box, being one of the best freestylers, even stepping into battle rapping. Like I've done a lot that a lot of people haven't done. And, you know, I get my flowers here and there, but I know it would be it would be massive if I passed away. And somebody like a Kendrick will say something. Somebody like a Drake will say something. Somebody like a Sean will say something. And I haven't heard from these guys in a decade, mm. in a decade, mm. but they'll say something when I pass. And I think that's that's a little crazy to me. Mm. And, and, and in many ways, it's like, because I've just been ill for so long and I need to rest my ass, but I've been, I've been slowly deteriorating. And I've just been like, actually, I need to intentionally care for myself. And, right. and I, I centered it on, on DMX and Black Rob because I think even when they were here, I know when DMX came out of jail maybe five, six years ago, he was doing the rounds and, and Breakfast Club and they were mocking him, getting to do Christmas carols and, you know, and he was just saying some stuff about Drake and how much he hates him and all this type of stuff. I felt right. like all of those things are just about exploiting somebody that's like slightly disconnected from what's happening in contemporary sense. Also knowing that he just doesn't give two shits. So he's not really looking for, you know, young artists, just a useful artist to try and drive a headline and just right. how people were just using and taking even at that point then. Yes. And, and, and there wasn't a passion to even honor it in a, in a authentic way. It, it just felt like it was a bit like you could do that to him because he, he, he was addicted to drugs or he, he was, you know, in transitions in many ways in his life. And I just think about how we treat each other. I just think it's just, it moves me a little bit. Like I saw Black Rob doing like some wild things on his like IG to try and raise money before he passed away because he needed money. And people were, rather than just give him the money, they were trying to sell his name to turn up when he was basically sickening in a wheelchair. I was just like, could he not raise that? Like what, what I, know, I appreciate this is not something you can't look up to forever. But I think the second he passes, it's now all this, next talk and it just it just makes me feel uncomfortable it's not it doesn't feel authentic to me do you feel you know i've seen a couple things do you feel that it was self-inflicted trauma dealing with black rob and do you think it was like i see people blaming puff daddy or diddy is it diddy's responsibility to take care of artists after his tenure with them is through. Yeah. Do you, I think like, we'll see, what is your thoughts on that? It's, it's an interesting one. So in one realm, I think it's not your responsibility. We operate in capitalism. I pay you 450,000 K for 10 albums and it's the worst deal I've ever heard of. One of the worst deals I've ever heard of, mm -hmm. but it's, that's what he gave him. And I think about that and I think he accepted it and that's his responsibility. This is, this is, you know, bartering and negotiations, capitalism. So that's done. I mm -hmm. think in the place that when certain people hold certain space in the community. So 
you know, there are people that you have no connection to from a musical standpoint or business standpoint, and you right. know who they are and you expect that from them. There's no light in them. They're just always on something. I think Diddy holds a space where he tries to be slightly more responsible in terms of how he communicates himself. And I feel like as, you know, to be worth a billion at this point and not have a legacy for, or, or, or even invested or put an insurance thing in place for someone's life is really, really challenging because I hate seeing GoFundMe pages when people pass away. Because oh, it, sh- it just shows me that no one's been organized. It's like an immediate window into the fact that no one's got life insurance, no one's considered any of these things. And so we've got to do a GoFundMe. And I think it's so important that we start to do that. So it is Diddy's responsibility, but also it's not. And we shouldn't. I, I wouldn't rely on him, but it'd be great if he did something. That's probably the best way to put it. That's a great answer. That's what about your answer. thoughts? Do you, do you have a view on it, Mickey? Um, it's weird, man. Like I, I, I look at it like, you know, it's, he, he picked up disenfranchised youth who didn't know anything. They were ignorant to contracts. They were ignorant to how law works to a certain extent. They were ignorant to how business works. They were ignorant to how money works. So when you, when you give someone who, this is, this is just basic common human nature. If someone wins the lottery, like Marvin said, right? They're going to blow through the money. It doesn't matter if you give somebody $10 million, a million dollars, 500000 a billion. They're going to blow through the money because they've never had money. So when you give something to somebody that they've never had and expect them to be Rupert Murdoch or uh, Bill Gates, they're not, they, they're not equipped they, with the knowledge to do these things. And I feel like that's the same sentiment of Puff Daddy, Diddy, and and his artists, they there needs to be more financial literacy for artists, right? And I feel like there's a shift that's happening when it comes to that. Um, and I feel like Diddy is the one main guy under the magnifying glass because he was an artist that became a billionaire. But you know, white CEOs have been doing this in music and outside of music for the past 70, 80 years. And building off of the, the 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 sweat and and work of blacks backs for for centuries. So this, you know, he's just he is the dichotomy of that now, right? And and to me, the people who blame him are the same as the people who want him to help other people, right? It, it, morally, he should, but ethic wise, he has no obligation to do anything like that. And I think that's where, you know, because we're our, our culture and just us as a people, we are a sympathizing culture. We are we try to hold people accountable for their actions morally, as opposed to how we should move business wise. I mean, I think a lot of us like to imagine if we were Diddy, we would do better. And I right. think, Mickey, what you were saying is we, we might do just as bad, if not even worse, because we like to think the best of ourselves and we kind of look at the worst of others. But um, yeah, there's nothing to say that we would know any better. We would do any better if we were in the same position. And and if we were to, what are we doing now in the position that we're in? We like to imagine if we had the millions that, you know, we donate to Africa and we'll change lives. But what are we doing with our time now? And are we aiming with the little that we have to make an impact positively in people's lives? Because if you are, then at least there's something you can build on. But if you're not doing it now, it's very hip- hypocritical to judge others. Yes, I agree. Not at all. With kids back at school and some normalcy returning, we're all keen to keep life moving. 
NHS Test and Trace are encouraging all adults in England to get tested twice a week using rapid COVID-19 tests. Helping to prevent around one in three people who have COVID-19 with no symptoms spread it without knowing. Family life is busy, but rapid testing is a fast and easy way to find out if you have coronavirus. With results in around 30 minutes, helping you to keep family life moving. You may even have seen your secondary school age children testing twice a week already, so now is the time to join them. For more information and guidance on where to get testing kits, head online to nhs.uk forward slash get hyphen tested. The more of us that take part, the more we can help protect each other. Countdown to Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And nothing's going to stop us making the most of every festive moment. Our gift cards can be used in all Tesco stores nationwide. On all groceries, F&F clothing and Tesco mobile. And we're offering great discounts on bulk orders for organisations this Christmas. To find out more, visit tescoforbusiness.com and call our team today. For a limited time only. Terms and conditions apply. Tesco. Every little helps. So, so Mickey, you, you obviously are our father. How, how many children do you have, and what's your what's your home setup? If you don't mind us asking, I have one child. Uh, I had my first child at thirty seven years old. Wow. Um, how old are they now? I'm thirty eight now. So they they're about a year old. Okay. I had my son pretty pretty late. Um, mm. I had him later than a lot of my friends, a lot of my contemporaries, and a lot of my business peers. Like I had my first son at 37 years old. It's, it's crazy to even think about. But um, my home setup is my wife, myself, and him. Like that's it's just us, you know. Especially in the COVID era, you know, it's supposed to be a little bit different. We're supposed to have a little bit more help from my mom, her mom, my dad, her her dad, but you know, things happen. So we weren't able to kind of get the, the assistance. So it's just been us, man, just striving to, uh, you know, <laughs> be the best possible versions of ourselves that we can be. And it's been an interesting journey, but you know, I love it. And you know, so does my family. Yeah. What's the in state are you in just for the people to know? I am in, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And it's the South. So, you know, we, we deal with a lot of nonsense down here, but. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. I, I love it. Black people, got, black people. Are, yeah, yeah. Black people run this city, though. You know, as much as I just gave it some crap, like they run this city, man. This, this is, this is theirs for the taking. You know, <laughs> amazing. And in terms of like your path to fatherhood, was there a specific reason why you waited so long, or was it just chance, or because obviously men notoriously have children as soon as they can have sex and they don't consider necessarily <laughs> the, the desire to do it within a, a construct. So what, what was the process for you? Um, my mom always told me to have a, have a baby when you get married. So, you know, I was, you know, there's this, this running joke for some reason with black men about, you know, having sex raw, or, you know, uh, ejaculating in a woman to get her pregnant, you know, to lock her down, so to speak. I never, I never subscribed to that notion. You know, I, uh, you know, obviously I was, I was out there, uh, but I did not want to spread, uh, my seed everywhere and, and be one of those guys. And it's not to knock anybody that has multiple children, but I, that was never something that I wanted to be a part of. And, uh, I wanted to kind of build a family un- unit. And I, I believe I ac- accomplished that. That was something that I wanted to do in my thirties. I got it done. And as you can see on my vision board, the next phase of my life is to make sure that they're okay. Cause I don't 
like Marvin said, I don't want to have a GoFundMe. We have two life insurance plans, one on myself and one on my wife. Um, in the event anything happens to us, I do not want to be embarrassed, you know, when I pass. I want to make sure that we're okay, everything is taken care of, you know. Powerful. And so, and then so just in terms of like, I know you did that song, I think it was 2008, uh, about Sean Bell. Yes. What, what, what was going through your mind at the time? I know obviously it was a very powerful, and it was a while ago, it was a very powerful time. I think there was a series of people who passed away in that era as well. And it was kind of like, well, Obama's here, but like also people, like people are still dying. What's going on? What, right. what was happening for you? At that time, um, I remember when I created that song, there was a lot of New York art because it happened in New York. So there were a lot of New York artists that were putting out songs that was relative to what happened. So there was a, there was so many people that put them, I wouldn't say songs, but freestyles. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, insensitive, but it didn't feel genuine to me at that time. So because it didn't feel genuine to me and my team at that time, we decided that we wanted to do something completely different with the memory of Sean Bell. And that was to, to put myself in his shoes. What was he experiencing during that time? What was his, what was going through Sean Bell's mind as he got shot, as he left this bachelor party? And I think we encapsulated that with that record. It was very difficult to do, mostly because, you know, there was not a lot of information on Sean Bell, but we wanted, we, I really did feel a way. Like I felt, I felt like why, why is everybody doing these songs um, for this man? Well, not not songs. Part of me, it was just these freestyles that was just coming out, and they were, and it was like Flex was playing them on the radio, and it was just weird, man. And I was just like, I want to make a song from his perspective of what he experienced and what he went through, and I think I encapsulated that, and it was very powerful at that time. People fell in love with it. But even in the song, I'm like, yo, like it's people that's putting me in their bars, I'm in their songs and things like that. And it was a it was a tough song, but I'm glad that I did it and, you know, it was just showing the concept conceptual side of myself and what what I'm here to do, you know? I think the, the strangest thing about that song is that it could li- literally live in, in this era today also. Now, it's almost yes. quite sad. I mean, Marvin was talking about this earlier, and that's actually what he said, actually. I'm just stolen his, um, his, his observation. <laughs> but like, but, that, but it could literally live in this time, and it's really, really sad yes. that it could live in this time. And that's an obviously, what was that, 15 years now, that, 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 that transition yes. between those times. And you guys don't have this, these issues in, in the UK, right? It's just mostly knife work out there, right? Marvin, what do you think? Do we have that? We have these issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do, but it is it is linked to like to drugs. So we've got this problem they call county line drug trafficking, which is basically where people take drugs out from the towns into the more kind of like you know seaside like country regions. Um, but yeah, so there there are there's a lot of violence, a lot of more a lot more knife crime, but there is there are like incidences of gun crime and people die in police custody over here as well. There's a lot of institutional racism. I don't know about how it is in America, but we have stop and search where police can just, you know, stop you, frisk you by the side of the road. And um, that's much more um, targeted at black males than it is at, you know, at anyone else. So, you know, we have some of the same challenges, albeit not to the same extent as in America. And I think the other problem over here is guns are meant to be illegal over here. But 
speak to a black man that knows a man that knows a man, you know, they're, they're still, they're still around. <laughs> so yeah. How, how does that come about? You know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other issues because even down, I'm sure it's the same in America, even down to the consumption of drugs. It's not us, you know, we're not the main customers, but yet we're the victims of that industry as well. But yeah, there is, there is a lot of gun crime over here as well, unfortunately. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I thought you guys was just like Zorro out there. I, all, all I ever <laughs> heard of with you guys is, was knife work like you guys was like the best knife wielding people ever like, <laughs> i think that's just because guns are illegal so yeah there's a much like you know you've probably seen the kids with like their zombie knives like you know like the size of a sword so that's common but yeah there's there's definitely um you know people shooting out here as well but i think i think what's really interesting is is that even the characterization of it it's not sophisticated. <laughs> so even when you're, the language you're using is making me feel like these are samurai people when it's actually amazing. Like it's actually art. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's just savagery. It's the most base level of savagery yeah, possible. Yeah. Um, but what, what I think is really interesting about that is that like the, the difference of violence and what that creates, but the, but the feeling is real. So when George Floyd was murdered, it was very much loud and visceral here. We felt the exact, we felt like it had happened on one of our streets because wow. we've seen the disregard for how police engage with black people specifically. Uh, I mean, there was a guy called Rashawn Charles who, who lived opposite where I lived and, and mm-hmm. he was um, selling, I think it was fake drugs, I think he was selling soap uh, to somebody. And then the police were bum rushing him. And right. then they, he, I think, I, I don't know what happened, but I think he, ba- they basically thought he swallowed it when he didn't. And then they, they choked him and he died um, wow. in a shop. And we, we look at those things and you just think the complete disregard for life, the complete Complete. overzealous, and bearing in mind, if you've arrested someone and they've swallowed it, it's in your body. So like, you can, it's in your body. That like, it will wait. come out. Some, it will come out some way. Like, there's no urgency to to get it back and retrieve it right there and then, unless you just don't care. And right. so I think like that that sentiment lives in in our country as well. But I think when we see it happen to to in the US, it feels more dismissive. And so it triggers everyone here, and we we go through the same waves of of frustration, and disappointment. That probably you do in your mind how, does that channel into like how you raise your children where you raise your children you mentioned the south isn't like a warm cuddly place for black people so i know i know you run atlanta but the greater georgia is still white supremacy.com how, how does that kind of play into your thoughts of like raising children it's scary man it's it's, it's still scary man because you know as as black people man we got to deal with this man like i i i hate it you know i mean but we I, I try to do my best, man. I try to do my best as a black man to to be as positive as possible. I know my wife is probably always worried when I step outside. Like that has to be a scary feeling to know that your husband might not come home because you know a cop may have had a bad day, you know, and doesn't want to be, you know, doesn't want to serve and protect. And he wants to just be a jerk. Like this, this level of power that they wield is is uncharacteristically just terrible for for them to have and and I can I can't imagine you know just being this person who has to deal with this on a consistent basis but I for, in terms of just in terms of just raising my son I'm going to do the best that I can on all four fronts to let him know that you know black people are black people and this is our history and this is what we have to sadly deal with until things change i believe things will change but it'll probably be when my son is a grandfather because you know the 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 lines are crossing now right there's more mixed children it's more interracial couples and children and marriages 
So things are going to shift, but it won't happen in our time. I, I don't believe that. Amazing. Marvin, just before we wrap up, is there anything that we've discussed today you think is important that you just want to wrap up and share with the audience? Uh, I think I think it's always nice to kind of make anything recapable of people that were listening. Yeah. I mean, I think the vision board, that that part, like that was that was perfect. That was as though we planned it. So I think I think everything we've kind of said here is, you know, have a vision. Um, because then that orientates and directs your life. Um, Mickey, I was gonna say I, I was listening to your work today and I, I really like your song Black Man. When I got to that, I couldn't I couldn't get past that track. I had to pull it up at like four or five times. And I think, you know, there there sometimes we need to think beyond just getting into an altercation and and proving ourselves and going out on our shield. We need to think about getting back home to our family because we've got a vision. We've got a goal, we've got a strategy, and that's more important than anything else. So, yeah, that, that song really resonated with me. And I think that's something that I'll make sure is my mantra as well, that, yeah, we have little battles on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, we, we have a job to do, we have a purpose, yes. and that's to make sure our family are looked after and our kids are looked after. Yes. Um, I think, Mickey, I think a lot of what you said, um, even from what you were saying in, in your song um, about Sean Bell, like, you, you're way ahead of your time, and even the work you're doing today, um, yeah, sounds amazing. And that's something that I think more fathers need to listen to as well, because I know I'm going to be having that on repeat. Because, um, yeah, you've, I think being a father at a more mature age, you've encapsulated that journey as a man. Now yes. that the advice you're given is hitting the mark. You know, there's no immaturity in it. It's all factual. Yeah. It's all knowledgeable. And I think, yeah, we can all we can all apply it to our lives as well. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you, man. Uh you know, when I was creating this project for my son, you know, cause it, it, you know, that, that song is on that project, uh, Hugh, which is an audio last one on Testament. I got to give props to Chris Rivers, big pun son. I thought about him and how he always makes posts about his dad and how he wishes that he could speak to his father or at least hear something from his father. And it made me say to myself, you know, I need to have something like that for my son in the event anything happens to me. Yes, I'm setting up my son and my, and my wife financially, but if something were to happen to me, I want him to be able to listen to a whole album and be able to know what to do in life. And, and you know, I think these things are necessary, man. We We need to create legacies that we really need to create legacies that uphold our generations. Like the first year my son was born. Every day I wrote about his life. So when he turns 18, I'm going to be like, here, if I'm still around. I'm like, here, this is your life. This is the first year of your life. We can't remember the first years of our life. But imagine reading, imagine if, if you, both you Marvins and myself, were to get a book that showed what happened the first year of our life and just actually read what we did. The day we walked, the day we spoke, the day we burped, the day we got our first diaper change, the day we, I wrote everything down. That's really powerful. Um, I think for myself, just the, the awareness of our, our physical health and, and, and black men dying a lot younger um, and, and the conditions of poverty, the extremities of, of, of abuses between drugs and physical you know, I know, for DMX, this is a catalogue of events in his life. And I know for Black Rob, it's been ill since 98. But I, I think we really got to be very conscious about and intentional as Black men to to move differently, especially this generation, the kind of the kind of 30 to 45 generation is really, really important that we set some precedence for the younger generation because, you know, they look to us and they, they always, we always surpass our previous generation. So there's more you know, black men that are married probably now than they were in the last generation, more of us present to our fathers, more of us socioeconomically more stable, but we've got to really push that a little bit harder to make it easier for our children. Because I think the greater impact is, I, I don't want to see any more GoFundMe pages from the black community. I, I don't want to see any more 
children disconnected from their parents and living through rage, um, you know, and, and other trauma, mm. traumas that can be easily eroded. And so I think it's for me, it's about drawing some lines and, and stopping the minimum level of experience. But I, I just, I really do think about the mortality of black men right now. And I think how we are used in terms of being killed by police or our own work, it's just like we seem to be on the wrong end of everything. And I think in terms of even uh, spiritual development, how black women have evolved so much in the last 15, 20 years, I feel we're, we're definitely being left behind in that realm as well. So it's like, yeah. we need we need more spiritual connection. We need more physical health. We need more mental health. And we all got, only men can do it. We've got to hold each other accountable. It's not going to come from this nice rosy place externally. It has to be us. So I just want to make people really present to that more than anything else. Wow, man, that's powerful, man. You guys are really intelligent, man. This is crazy. Pip, pip. (laughs) 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 Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Mickey, thank you so much, man. Anything you need from us on Dope Black, uh, we're with you and we'll continue to shout out the stuff you're doing uh, as and when we see it. Also, feel free to tag us. Uh, Marvin, again, thank you so much, man. I think this is something for us to reflect upon and share with other people because normally the day after I do a live and think about what, what the, the themes we, we came up with. Uh, and I've definitely got loads of food for thought for tomorrow. So, guys, thank you so much. Um, and we'll definitely catch up again soon. Much love, y'all. Peace. Peace. And so thank you guys for listening. I really much appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, you can find us at at Dope Black Dads on all social media platforms. You can also email me for a chat at hello at dopeblackdads.com. Thank you so much for listening, my brothers. I appreciate you all. Uh, We'll be back next week. With kids back at school and some normalcy returning, we're all keen to keep life moving. NHS Test and Trace are encouraging all adults in England to get tested twice a week using rapid COVID-19 tests. Helping to prevent around one in three people who have COVID-19 with no symptoms spread it without knowing. Family life is busy, but rapid testing is a fast and easy way to find out if you have coronavirus. With results in around 30 minutes, helping you to keep family life moving. You may even have seen your secondary school aged children testing twice a week already, so now is the time to join them. For more information and guidance on where to get testing kits, head online to nhs.uk forward slash get hyphen tested. The more of us that take part, the more we can help protect each other. An unforgettable day out at Kildare Village isn't just about discovering what's new in your favourite boutiques. It's not just about complimentary parking and fresh air, fresh fashion or about unmissable restaurants and pop-ups and shopping under clear blue skies. And it's not just about spectacular savings all year round. No, an unforgettable day out in Kildare Village is about all this in one beautiful open-air setting. Kildare Village, something extraordinary every day. Orla's driving her new Citroen C4 crossover. She's on a call with her friend who's asking if her in-laws from hell have left yet. Orla's husband is in the front seat. The in-laws are in the back seat. Orla is on hands-free. This could be a very uncomfortable drive. Except the Citroen C4 crossover comes with advanced comfort seats and best-in-class rear legroom, making it a very comfortable drive indeed. Citroen. Engineered for comfort. See citroen.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.